Any movie that has kind of that, where one character gets to re live everything on repeat and then has this kind of prophetic vision and preparedness for every little thing because they've already seen it happen. One of the things that the church does for me is that it gives me that window into what the older version of my life will look like. Hello and welcome to Thinking Out Loud. I'm your co-host Cameron McAllister. And I'm your co-host Nathan Rittenhouse. The conversation nationally has really been focused on the virtue of courage. You might not have heard it phrased that way, but I'm thinking specifically, Nathan, of the Uvalde mm -hmm. massacre. There's really no other word for it. And I'm thinking about the national conversation about the police response. And I believe, if I'm getting my facts correct here, that it took just over an hour before the police actually entered the room and before they shot Salvador Ramos. And there were apparently there were reports of parents who were trying to get in there desperately to save their children. So a good deal of scrutiny is focused on that response. This is an unfolding investigation. We stress over and over again on thinking out loud that it's imperative not to jump to hasty conclusions. We have access to so much information so quickly as it's unfolding, but that doesn't necessarily mean that we can draw sound conclusions right now. We still have partial and fragmentary reports and the investigation is getting complicated. There's resistance to the investigation, but what interests me here, Nathan, and what I think might be helpful to talk about are what are sometimes called the hard virtues. Now, this is something we've touched on this before on Thinking Out Loud, but I don't think we've ever actually explored this topic in a really kind of full sense. So the hard virtues versus the soft virtues. A lot of theologians and social critics have pointed to the fact that our culture venerates the soft virtues, mercy, forgiveness, compassion. A lot of theologians have pointed out that these are highly praised in our churches. We talk about them a lot. But the hard virtues, virtues like duty, honor, courage, justice, these, we have a harder time, I think, from, an, from a cultural understand, from a cultural standpoint, making sense of them. So if I had to give one thesis here to launch launch us off on this discussion, Nathan, I would say that we have a hard time understanding those those harder virtues of justice, honor, duty. And I think the other ones seem to come naturally to us, but those seem a little bit more culturally remote to us. And now we have an incident in an instance of such severity that it's really kind of forcing this conversation on us. And so I thought it might be helpful to look at that. But Nathan, in your, in your, in your opinion, what do you think makes justice, honor, duty? Why do these seem so foreign to us? Well, I think they, they're, huh, I think we're going to implicate ourselves and everybody listening on this. These are hard. <laughs> That's why they seem foreign is because they're hard. Um, and they also make us vulnerable in ways that the other ones don't necessarily. So I think that would be the, all of the hard ones that you've listed there 
have the potential or maybe the requisite of, or they require conflict to some degree. You don't, you don't have a duty to do easy things, or we don't think of it as duty when you do something easy, perhaps, or something that comes naturally to you or something that's fun. Um, justice is extremely complex. Um, courage is the balance there of a very high likelihood of you being physically or psychologically wounded. Um, so I think there's, there's a conflict and we don't, we don't know how to do conflict. Well, there are also power dynamics at play there in some, when, in the application of some of these sometimes too. And we wrestle culturally with what to do with that. And then how to bring our Christian perspective into that is a challenge too. So I see it as the difficulty the relational complexity and perhaps the danger that is necessary in order to practice some of those virtues. That's just my off the cuff thought. Here's an interesting story. So in my neighborhood, one day I hear this thundering music outside my, you know, in, in my front yard. And so I look out the window and there's a car full of teenagers talk about a moment where you feel like an old man you look out the window and you think oh look at all these whippersnappers <laughs> i don't know but so i'm looking out and there's thundering music they're they're laying on their horn they're obviously they're being they're being fairly loud and so i just went out there and walked toward their car and said hi guys is can i can i help you with something and they just they sped off like i had just gotten in their face or that <laughs> like this was some kind of a major confrontation. And this has happened to me, by the way, several times, not always in my yard, where something has happened and somebody has been behaving in a way where it, it's, you know, creating some kind of a, a little bit of a disturbance or something like that, behaving obnoxiously. And I've just calmly walked up to the person and, and inquired, hey, can I help you? Or would you mind turning that down? And the person flees and I'm not, I don't, maybe I'm not the best oh, judge you're, you're here, terif Nathan. You're terrifying, I don't think I'm a particularly anyway. intimidating person. I'm so terrifying. But what struck me in these instances is how unused to just direct communication and confrontation we are in our, in our culture right now. Think about the fact that even, I, I had this problem for a while where people kept coming back to me and saying, are you mad at me? No. Why do you think I'm mad at you? And then Heather, finally, my wife, helped me to decipher the social etiquette I was breaching. And that was I was using proper punctuation in texts. <laughs> and people were gathering from that that I was, that there was some sort of, yeah, there you know, that I was angry, that there was a some kind of, you know, harsh tone. And, you know, so these are sort of small little anecdotal examples that point to a culture that is very averse to any kind of direct confrontation, to any kind of direct communication even, and a, a culture that really avoids, this is to your point, Nathan, that seems to avoid conflict at all, at all costs and to always seek to de-escalate or just to avoid. So I, I don't know. I think that that gives you a picture just on a really grassroots level of how that dynamic unfolds, I think, in our daily lives. Yeah, so lives we, we talk too. a lot about living in a time, well, actually, I think this is standard for humanity, of seeking security and comfort. Those are uniquely prized, I believe, in America. And 
most of the hard virtues that you've pointed to call us to go beyond that. Um, it's why, so there's a certain honor that goes with being a sniper, for example, because you look at the training of them crawling through mud and all this kind. So like the difficulty, the lack of comfort breeds honor in some ways, people who are willing to do difficult things. We see, um, firefighters, police officers, military kind of float to the top. If you're looking at your, um, why is the video game called call of duty, right? It's not like exploration of mercy is not a good video game. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, so the, the, there's the difficulty there. The <laughs> <laughs> I could remember that. What? I'm going to remember that. Yeah. You want, you want to, Hey, come to my house. Let's play exploration of mercy <laughs> yeah. too. Oh, that's that's going amazing. nowhere fast. Um, so, so the, the, the comfort and security is something that we crave. It's also something that we honor people who provide that for us. I mean, we just had Memorial day. So I think that is a day where we recognize just that very feature that they're that the comforts and the security we have yep. come from the sacrifice to other people. But we have such a distant cause and effect, I think from reality sometimes that, or things are so good. And you take a small town in Texas who, who knows what was the last big thing that happened there. And then all of a sudden you have something horrific like this come crashing down upon it. There's, there's a, a sense of shock that has to be taken into account with this as well. So I think, mm -hmm. That's that's part of it, is that these harder virtues call us to go beyond comfort and security. Now, there's a about, uh, you know, so I think when we start talking about courage specifically, we go back to Aristotle kind of balancing out this, this balanced vision of what's proper courage, uh, cowardice on one end. What's he, what's he say that is the other extreme? Is it brutality? Yeah, so if you... The golden mean, right, where you, you want to pick that position that there's a balance between the two extremes. Courage, if it goes too, if it becomes too intense, mer become, you know, basically becomes distorted as brutality. And if you lean too much on the prudence and caution side, then you end up lapsing into cowardice. Yeah. So there's this, there's this balance there. I think, you know, on a super non-philosophical but interesting way in which this question was once posed to me by my father-in-law is uh, oftentimes when we're mountain biking, particularly at night, and we're with a group, if there's a, a large log or a river or a creek or some kind of obstruction, usually people get off of their bikes and go around it. And I think, well, I'm going to have to get off my bike anyway. I may as well just go blazing into this thing and see what happens. And about, uh, I'll give myself 60, 70% of the time, it just turns out <laughs> to be spectacular and I make it. And then the other 30% of the time, there are like hills that people refer to as Nate's Folly and that sort of thing. So, you know, I haven't broken a bone for like a year, but so, <laughs> so after one of these episodes where I think everybody gotten off and I'd gone launching over this log and it worked, my father-in-law said to me, so Nate, what's the difference between courage and stupidity? <laughs> and, and you could see the link there of like, is it, is, is it gutsiness oh, or is it stupidity? Um, and, uh, I'm still working that one out. Probably the older I get, I'll have more clarity on that. But the, I think there's a sense in which perhaps in some of the armchair quarterbacking that we do on legitimately dangerous situations without all of the details there, thinking now specifically of the Valde thing, where is, what's the, how, how you, how you mm -hmm. judge from a distance, the distinguishing features of courage versus stupidity um, of like, yeah, if we all go running down this, we're all going to die. 
versus there's a calculated way to do the most good here. So I'm not, I haven't answered that question, mountain biking, or I don't know that we can make that judgment on this particular case. So I think just to be clear for everybody listening to this, we're, we're zooming out here a bit more into the meta category where we're not talking about specific incidences, but we're trying to think through how to apply these hard virtues. Yeah, and lines of work that require of their their people a willingness to lay down one's life. Pretty, it's a pretty strange notion today, and here's where I suppose the specter of radical individualism comes to bear again, because the hard virtues it would seem to me, Nathan, require of you a commitment to something greater than yourself. Yeah, okay, yeah. It has to be God, nation, right? Something that's bigger than the individual whims and desires. And I know I've, I've heard that recruitment for the military is, is growing increasingly difficult because it's very, it's hard to find people who are living for anything beyond their own whims and desires. And it's easy to understand because that is essentially the only dream that we sell to people nowadays. But if you take a word like honor, for instance, Nathan, you and I were talking about this earlier. Honor is something that seems very foreign to us, I think, because the notion that you would live, let's say you, you, you man, you're in a situation where you manage to operate in such a way that you save your life but it comes at the cost of dishonorable actions. Let's say you have to sell your buddy out, or let's say you have to turn your back on your duty, something like that, but you survive. So to a certain state of mind, the, the thinking would go, it would be better to have died than to have lived dishonorably. And that sounds, I think, I think it makes sense to us to a certain point, but to actually live that out seems very foreign to us because we're so conditioned to look out for our own interests yeah. and to really make safety. So hang on, primary. help me out here. Let's back up a second. So I think there are a lot of people that live with shame. We know what that is in our culture. Uh, social media helps with that. But where, what's the public platform for personal honor? I mean, so are people f feeling ashamed of violating standards that they aren't exactly sure what they are or where they exist? It's, it seems to me like we, people know what it, people can experience. So you have, I'm thinking like, okay, you have the honor role, you have the honor society, you have the honor guard, you have, I'm trying to think of the ways in which the word honor is actually used. So part of the difficulty is, is maybe not a collective consensus on what it is exactly that breeds some of this confusion. I'm just kind of curious of like, where do people feel most honored? I mean, I think, generally speaking, honor usually is grouped alongside intense dedication and often sacrifice and self-sacrifice as well. I think from, you know, from many of our, our monuments to many of the people who are often signal out, signaled out for honor are people who have usually given a great deal, but nevertheless... In our daily lives, 
I think the practical drive, the engine that keeps most people going, has is really powered more by self-interest. So I think there's tension there. I think there's tremendous tension there. Because when you see a situation like this unfold, and there are many such situations, sadly, there's there's increasing, you know, conflict and violence in this nation right now, but it's also just part of the human condition. It reinforces that no, there are there are moments where you need you actually it's a practical necessity to have people who are willing to lay down their lives. Now that's a sobering fact, but it's true. But what do you do when you're you're largely in a cultural moment where that willingness to lay down one's life it's difficult to give a vision for f- that would that would really motivate that kind well, of behavior okay. so because it just seems to be in such yeah, short supply well, so here's the other danger there is that you would get into the classical vice of vainglory if you laid down your life only in order to be honored for doing it so there, there could be people who sacrifice themselves for good causes in order that they would be honored for doing the good thing. That's not honor. That's, that's vainglory. Honor is doing the right thing because of the higher ideal or principle. For yeah, the right reasons. For, for the higher reason. So I think that would be one of the things that make it difficult in our time to parse out what's legitimate and what is... So what's legitimately sacrificing for the greater cause... And what is a form of sacrifice that is merely for the sake of my self-image? Basically, I'm saying there there's such a thing as a as a false honor. And I and I don't know if I've if we see it enough in our generation to be able to distinguish it from the real thing. I don't know. I'm just spitballing here. It's it's just a thought. Yeah. So I'm writing a book with Phil Talon and he just drew my attention to this one observation from C.S. Lewis, and this comes from The Problem of Pain. And Lewis talks about, we will look at sometimes ancient cultures. Let's take right now the movie The Northman has just come out, which is all of, which recovers some of the intense brutality of the Vikings, for instance. We're always very interested in that, but we also tend to, words like barbaric spring to mind and we just think of it as very very brutal and vicious and ruthless. We're not wrong about that, by the way. If you look at a lot of these ancient, especially martial cultures, that is true. But, says Lewis, every, every culture has its own sort of list of esteemed virtues that, yes, sometimes mutate into distortions, right? Brutality and ruthlessness. But he points out that if... if you were to somehow magically transport, let's say, a Viking into present-day United States, that they would be probably pretty appalled at how soft and wimpy most of us are. In the same way that we're appalled at how incredibly vicious and violent they are. So that sense of... So I think clearly we're at a point where that that sort of... that distortion that comes into play in our in our culture has a lot more to do with the soft virtues. Those are the ones that get that I think tend to get distorted in our culture. And maybe we could say a little bit about that, how the soft vir- virtues can mutate into vices well, of their okay. own, you know, love, compassion, 
forgiveness. Yeah. So I th- so here's here's where I think we start to bring our Christian perspective in on this is that you can redefine any term and make it mean something that it didn't mean historically. I mean, the the difference between um, we love because he first loved us and love is love or love is what makes a Subaru a Subaru is shockingly different, right? So it's the same word in our language, but it means something very mm-hmm. different. So part of the challenge here is that, well, here, one point of fascination and then bring it back around is that the, the fact that we would even maybe quote Aristotle thousands of years later shows that there, there are things here that are endemic to humanity and questions that we've wrestled with for a very, very long time that are independent of our technological advancement, our medical progress. I mean, these are courage isn't something that, well, I was going to say alcohol makes people courageous sometimes. Um, I was going to say it's something, not something that can be synthetically fabricated in a deep mm. ontological way. Same thing with honor or duty, perhaps. Um, in their pure forms. So there, I think there are shell versions of it that can be manipulated. Yeah, no, a truly courageous person, yeah, a truly courageous person wouldn't reach for the drink in order to fortify right. him or so herself. I, so, yeah, yeah, so the point, point the point being that these are human questions throughout time. There's that. Then there's the tendency to culturally shift the definitions of what they are. And that's always happening. So just as in order to articulate and to enact a virtue, you need an outside reference. You actually need an outside reference also in order to define what that thing is. So if if it's just up to the whim of your culture, what justice is, for example, then justice is a fluid category. However, as Christians, we're always looking back to the character of Christ to get our definitions for what a word means and then figure out how to use it. And so there's we're living in a time mm-hmm. probably where your courage is not going to be expressed by charging down a school hallway with somebody shooting at you. Courage probably will have more to do with defining, defending, and living well what the virtues actually are in our time. Because there's a sense in which it does run into a cultural conflict with some definitions from a Christian perspective. So part... I'm, I'm, I'm running in circles here a little bit, spinning my wheels, but I'm trying to get to the idea that probably the, the most courageous thing or honorable thing or a duty that we have is to recognize that our definitions and the, and the means and the methods by which we enact these come from Christ and not from our culture. I mean, that sounds extremely simplistic to just say it like that, but I think that is one of the challenges of our times is to make sure that our words consistently mean what we think they do. And I think uniquely in Christianity, all of these categories interpenetrate one another. So in certain, in certain ancient cultures, for instance, I think you would have one over, you would have justice override love in some cases, but you were, where you would choose, or you would choose between duty and, and love and duty maybe wins out and you turn your back on your family, for instance, for the sake of the nation, for the sake of sake of the polis. In Christianity, none of these are strictly separable. So for instance, let's say, let's take love as love, right? The love is love sort of notion, which reduces love basically to limitless acceptance. 
Well, as if we are Christians and we're looking to Christ for our definition of love, first and foremost, we're not going to expect non-Christians to behave like Christians. I think that's one thing, that's one that's one expectation that we need to get straight as people in the church. Those outside the church are not going to behave like those inside the church, and that's to be expected. But on the other hand, if you're in a situation where you're talking to somebody who claims the name, claims to follow Christ, and yet chooses to live in a manner that is antithetical to his calling, live it, to, to live in habitual sin, for instance, it's not like in that moment you choose, you know, your, your commitment to a courageous and difficult conversation with your friend, the duty of that and the justice of that override love, all of these are working together because of your sense of justice, because of your sense of duty, you risk the friendship, you risk that relationship, not be, be, because of love, in order to confront the person and say and tell them the truth in a loving manner with firmness. So, what I'm trying to get at here is that, for, ideally speaking, all of these virtues are operational in our lives. The, the, the problem is that some of them atrophy because we don't practice them very often. And so what Nathan was saying there about the likelihood of some very serious situation where you're going to have to resort to actual combat that that's probably not that likely. It's a possibility. This is a fallen world. These things do happen. Sadly, they do. But also just to consider, what do your conversations look like? You have, I mean, in every church, every healthy church is filled with numerous conflicts. And some of them, many of them haven't have not been dealt with. How are you handling that in your daily life? How are you handling those people? Is it, it, are you, are you tempted to kind of soft pedal over the hard, harder aspects of how you navigate your relationships? Avoid those difficult conversations. Avoid those confrontations. In, pra in, in, in my own experience, I think we often, our default is to do that and then to give ourselves a free pass and say, well, no, we're, we're just being compassionate and kind and gentle. But of course, if we're, again, if we're looking to the character of Christ, as our compass here, that isn't actually compassionate, that isn't, that isn't loving, it's actually dishonest, and it's not courageous. So all of these, ideally speaking, will be operating together, but I think we may need some work when it comes to the harder virtues. And I think one good place to start is by focusing on the fact that our lives are devoted to something greater than ourselves, namely our Lord and his coming kingdom. And that means that we have a kind of liberty and a freedom that really should punctuate all of our behavior, all of our conversations, all of our conduct. Yeah, I was thinking there, um, I, I don't know who it's original to. I, I know Todd Bolsinger writes about it in one of his books where he talks about peacemongers. Uh, peacemongers are people who prioritize unity and harmony over truth and health. And I think there's a lot of that going on yeah. sometimes, and it's a, it takes a certain level of courage to say, no, this is not a good long-term trajectory for us as a community or in this relationship. So there's, there's that element to it. There's also a feature here where I think when we look at the difficulties of honor, of duty, courage, justice, that all of those sometimes do require death. 
And there's a feature here where, again, the gospel speaks to this because, again, Jesus and all Christians operate with the assumption that death is not the worst thing that could happen to you. So this is why there were people who were glad to die as martyrs because dying while remaining faithful to Christ was more important than uh, becoming an apostate and staying alive. And so there, the on, this, this history mm-hmm. of, of an honorable yep. death and doing the right thing, of being faithful to the end, of having priorities and principles that we act by that are independent of our biological and, and mental health are real things. It's a, it's a common part of our history. It's something that we live with. And, you know, I think one of the, I'm trying to think where I was reading this. Um, there's this, there's a sense in which there's a, a little bit of a groundhog day effect. This, these are my words on it of like, if you can look and foresee what's coming in the battle, you can prepare yourself for it. So any, any movie that has kind of that where one character gets to re- live everything on repeat and then has this kind of prophetic vision and preparedness for every little thing because they've already seen it happen. One of the things that the church does for me is that it gives me that window into what the older version of my life will look like. And by talking to more mature Christians and, and people who are just even biologically older, who, whether this is a counselor or a friend or somebody at your church of saying, who's saying, you know, when you get to this point in your life, um, these are the big things you're going to have to wrestle with. Having a little bit of a, a window into what is coming is a phenomenal blessing as we prepare for the future. And so I'm not talking about like having a window into what's coming as the YouTube prophet on the Great Reset. I'm talking about the things that are standard to humanity throughout the last, oh, ever since humans have existed. There's some real value in the preparation that we need to do in our lives, the hard work of thinking about duty and honor and courage that we can learn from those who have fought. Think about the language of the Apostle Paul. I have, I have fought the fight. I have run the race. Those are overcoming conflict and perseverance um, terms that he delights in because he got to do it in the way of Christ. So I think as we wrap this up and bring it to a conclusion here, I, I can't say for sure what this will look like in your life or what it'll look like in the future of mine, but I do know that as we think about what is virtuous, that we want to look to Christ to get those definitions. We don't need to pander to the cultural whims of our time in order to justify ourselves or to feel ashamed of what it is that we don't choose to participate in. Anyway, we'll see how this all plays out, but you've been listening to Thinking Out Loud, a podcast where we think out loud about current events and Christian hope. Thanks for listening to Thinking Out Loud. If you'd like to learn more about what we do, book Nathan or Cameron, or if you'd like to support us financially, whether through a one-time donation or on a monthly basis, you can do so on the donate page at www dot toltogether.com. That's toltogether.com. And please consider leaving us a five-star rating and sharing this content with your friends. It really does help.